0: And would you stand with me today as we read the Holy Gospel? Our Gospel reading today from uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. O Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place, O God, make them acceptable in your sight, our only rock and our only redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most people like weddings. You know, Josh and Carly like weddings, especially. When William and Kate Middleton married in London's Westminster Abbey in 2011, one million people lined the streets and an estimated two billion people watched the wedding around the world on their TVs. We like weddings, and the Bible likes weddings. The Bible begins with the wedding, the Bible ends with the wedding, and the gospel of Jesus, the the ministry of Jesus begins with the wedding. Jesus likes weddings so much that he chooses to link his first public miracle to this kind of celebration. And I love how the Lord stamps his his approval on, on human festivity. Jesus wasn't there just to perform the miracle that we read about today, but Jesus came to attend a wedding. He was invited, and his disciples were invited to enjoy a celebration, and and God is not some Ebenezer Scrooge. God is not a utilitarian. He's the Lord of the feast. And it's why C.S. Lewis was so bold in Prince Caspian to put Dionysius in there, the Greek god of the grape harvest, to put that god into Narnia, because Yahweh is a god who endorses festivity. We read those shocking verses in Deuteronomy. God says, Go and buy whatever you desire. Go buy oxen or sheep. Go buy wine or strong drink whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all of your household." And Jesus has no problem enjoying the feast. In fact, Jesus enjoys the feast so much and so continually that he is accused by the Pharisees of being a gluttonous man and of being a winebibber. See, Cana tells us that our God is the God of the feast. But there's something else going on here today in our passage. The placement of the miracle is important. Its appearance in chapter 2 corresponds to something else that's going on in chapter 1. John writes in chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now this verse has been terribly misread by some. John isn't making a mutually exclusive dichotomy. He's not saying Moses and the law and the Old Testament over there, Jesus and grace and the New Testament over here. And he's certainly not saying that Moses and the law wasn't the truth or that the gospel is more true than the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus loved his father's law. In fact, he was the one who gave it to Moses in the first place. He is the word of God who gives to Moses God's holy standards. They are the words of his mouth. And the word of God comes in the person of Jesus Christ to make us love his father's law, lawlessness is the great problem that Jesus came to save. In fact, Paul makes this terribly clear in his letter to Titus. Jesus who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. The problem is that we don't love God. The problem is that we don't love one another. And so Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but our obedience couldn't save us from the problem because our obedience was the problem. We could not, in our sinful estate, obey the law. We still can't obey the law. We covet. We become murderous in our hearts. We lust for things that aren't ours. We lie. We reject the truth. We prefer deception and shadows and fictions. We disbelieve God's word. We disbelieve his promise. We say, surely it can't be so. God, what do you say to me? We grow cold in our devotion. We grow prayerless. We sink in unbelief. We choose fear rather than courage. It's so easy, brothers and sisters, to break the first three commandments before we even get out of bed, when we refuse to hallow God's name. In fact, Paul, who loves God's law so much, who who teaches it across the New Testament, who says in Romans 13 that the law of God is our pattern and we should live so as to fulfill it. He says he's so aware of the way that the law describes him daily as a sinner that Paul calls it the ministry of death. The law exposes Paul's sin, The law judges Paul's sin. The law calls a spade a spade. And the law leads Paul to this place of utter helplessness. If it had not been for the law, writes Paul, I would never have known what it means not to covet. I would not have known sin. Moses, John writes in chapter 1, Moses gave us the law. Moses gave us the standard of God's righteousness by which we perceive our sin. Moses showed us how high and how exalted and how fiery is the holiness of God, that it goes forth and it burns up all of his enemies, not to be trifled with. And Jesus also comes with the truth, he says. Jesus comes with the truth of God's righteousness. He comes also with the law. You must be what, Jesus says. You must be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. In fact, Jesus teaches us what the law of Moses really meant in the first place. Israel had watered it down. Israel had forgotten God's law, and Jesus tells us what it looks like to love God The way that we ought to in fact he says your love for god should be such that your love for your family looks like hatred in comparison and jesus teaches us what it really means to love our neighbor he says we should go two miles instead of one and if our neighbor asks our cloak we should give him our tunic also. And then Jesus says these words that a lot of people wish he hadn't said. He says, the way to my father, the gate to my father, it's narrow. And the way to my father is hard. The way that leads to life. And few there are who find it see, Jesus also teaches the exacting truth of the law. Jesus also calls us to this holy standard, but Jesus gives us more than Moses did. Jesus gives us more than the truth. Jesus gives us grace. Law came from Moses in Christ, truth and grace. And to drive home this distinction in chapter one between Moses and Jesus, John, this profound theologian, he places and he describes the first of our Lord's miracles in chapter two, the miracle of the water changed into wine. This is Jesus' first miracle. And John is contrasting it here with the first miracle of Moses. Do you remember the first miracle of Moses? What was the first great plague that Moses unleashes on Egypt? And the Lord said to Moses, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water. Moses' first miracle is to turn water into blood, blood that kills, blood that stinks, a ministry of death. Jesus' first miracle, however, is very different. He turns water into wine, wine that strengthens, wine that refreshens, wine that gladdens the heart of man the ministry of life, the ministry of death, the ministry of life. The law is holy. The law is righteous and it's good. It shows our deformity and it calls us upward to God's holiness. It's to be loved, it's to be cherished, it's to be remembered, it's to be adored. But Jesus Christ alone can get us there. He who died for our sins on the tree. He who looks on pity in our weakness and on our rebellion. He who becomes a man for our sake so that he could live to his Father in the way that we could not. Who takes our sin and our guilt and our inability to love God's law and he swallows it on the cross, making it like it never was who takes our water, the water of our utter failure, and transforms it into the finest wine. Brothers and sisters, John tells us today that Jesus Christ is the grace giver. Jesus Christ is the life giver. We deserve none of it. Not the least of it, but he is the Lord of the feast. He is the true God of wine that the Greeks were only dreaming about. And he prepares a table in our presence, in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of all those sins that get the better of us in the presence of all of our fears and our doubts and our hypocrisies, in the presence of our continued rebellion against him, he, the Lord of the feast, prepares a table with bread and with wine, and he assures all of us today, if we only dare to believe him, that he comes with goodness and kindness and mercy. And he brings to us today this message that he has come, and he has lived for us a life that's pleasing to God. And he invites us into his own relationship with his Father. Perfect standing, perfect peace, perfect righteousness. And so today, as we come to this high table of the Lord... As we come to this high place of mystery where the benefits of our Lord's passion are given to us powerfully and efficaciously today, the Lord of the feast, brothers and sisters, he promises you grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But whatever sin you've committed this week, no matter how dark and how twisted your thoughts, no matter how profound your failures, no matter how internal and intentional your rebellion, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the feast, he comes to offer you peace, and he comes to offer you pardon, to take the water of your life and to transform it into the finest wine. And so very simply today, brothers and sisters, the Lord give us grace to believe his holy gospel and to throw ourselves into his care and into his compassion. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.